um, for too long. I hope the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you, has been, you've been reflecting on the, uh, the Bible passage. Uh, there's just so much in there, isn't it? Uh, aren't there in these, uh, in, in, in this text? I don't know what has touched you. I don't know if you saw, um, in back in chapter 18, when he said, I am he, how people drew back and he, they fell backwards. That I am. That, that's, that's, that's the name of our God, isn't it? And when he claims that name, people fall back at the power of that name. In chapter 18, verse 12, that instruction to put away the sword, that the God's kingdom is not going to come by power and force, by violence in this way, but actually by the greatest sacrifice, by his death for us. I don't know if you saw Caiaphas once again, unwittingly saying something that, uh, that he says that one man needs to die for many. He had no idea what that meant, but we know what that means. I, for me, as I was reflecting, I, uh, one, the thing that struck me was how personal that, 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 that uh, when the man strikes Jesus' face, um, uh, everything else seemed in some ways impersonal, but that seems so personal. It, it's, a, it's an act of violence against our Lord by this man who really has no idea what's going on. And how then he's presented, behold the man. Right? Uh, it's kind of a funny way of presenting Jesus, behold the man. Well, we're transported back to John's Gospel in the very first chapter when we're told that the Word became flesh, that He became a man. But really, that, that's what, what being a man for God had, uh, uh, means, uh, that He becomes a person who is struck for us, who dies for us. And the, all the irony there, all these people who are trying to control Jesus, trying to control, uh, claim, uh, claim power over Him, and how he is ultimately, from the very beginning of the narrative until the very end, he is in control. He's the one who presents himself. He's the one who gives up his spirit. Irony of Jesus being interrogated by Pilate, whether and being asked, are you a king? And then Jesus crowned the king of the Jews mockingly, with purple robe and the crown of thorns. But this night is about the cross, how Jesus then dies on the cross. And you've heard sermons and talks about how horrifying the cross was. Roman citizens were exempt from execution on the cross unless it was for high treason. It was one of the cruelest forms of torture because it maximized the agony by delaying death. You know, you know about the medieval times when people were killed to terrorize that town. They were hung, right? They were hung on the, the walls of the castle so that people could come in and see the terror. But then this one is even worse. It's even more horrifying because it hangs a person who is dying, who is yet alive. And you are to watch him drained of his life as he cries out for help, as he cries out for water, as life is literally drained out of the person. Often criminals died of asphyxiation 
because it was difficult to breathe on the cross, not much less to talk. They had to concentrate just to breathe. But here on the cross, we do see Jesus speaking. And his words are extraordinary, I think, in their selflessness to his mother. He says, woman, here's your son. To the beloved disciple, here is your mother. Verse 26 and 27. He then speaks of his thirst. Verse 28. I am thirsty. I don't think he's meaning just the physical thirst. Remember, he was scourged hours before, which means that he was whipped. And that whip had these little leather tethers that, that, that sort of uh, uh, clipped into the flesh. And he was, he was stripped, I mean literally stripped of his flesh. And we don't see him screaming in this way. We don't see him speaking, but he cries out on the cross and says he is thirsty so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Psalm 22, he's poured out like water and his tongue sticks to the roof of his mouth. And he wasn't always the thirsty one. Remember back in chapter 4 of John's gospel, how he talked to the woman at the well. He said to her, everyone who drinks of that water, this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. He was the one who quenched people's spiritual thirst. As people came to him, they were filled and they were transformed to become a spring, a wellspring of living water so that others might come to have life. But now he's dried up. He cries like the psalmist in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. He's thirsty. Because he's been separated from God. That opening words of Psalm 22 were, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as the soldier pierced Jesus' side, there was a sudden flow of blood and water. The water of life is literally poured out and is dried up. But that moment of death wasn't a a defeat or a surrender, was it? After all, Jesus' next words were not, I am finished, but that it is finished. Verse 30. It is finished. His mission is finished. He's accomplished what he's come to do. That is why he didn't run away when the guards came to arrest him. But he presented himself in the middle of the night, offering, I am he. That is why he commanded Peter to put away the sword. That's why he submitted to the cowardly Pilate. And though he had no authority over him, it needed to be finished. And when that time came, no one actually kills him. 
if you take a look at verse 30, chapter 19, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He gives up his spirit. So it wasn't a moment of defeat. It was a moment of victory. I know some of our students just took exams. It's, uh, it's what one of these students might say. It's finished. It's done. You know, you might have said this when you got your work done before this short holiday. Uh, it's finished. I can go. It might be what you might say when your mortgage paid off after 40 years. It's finished. It's done. The cross was the mission. And everything was changed because of it, because Jesus finished that mission. This is how John Calvin, the famous reformer, famously put it. It follows that every good thing we could think or desire is to be found in the same Jesus Christ alone, for he was sold to buy us back, captive to deliver us, condemned to absolve us, He was made a curse for our blessing, sin offering for our righteousness, marred that he may be made fair, we may be made fair. He died for our lives so that by his fury it is made gentle, wrath appeased, darkness turned into light, fear reassured, debt canceled, labor lightened, sadness made merry, misfortune made fortune, fortunate, difficulty easy, disordered, ordered, Division united, ignominy ennobled, rebellion subjected, intimidation intimidated, ambush uncovered, assaults assailed, force forced back, combat combated, war warred against, vengeance avenged, torment tormented, damnation damned, the abyss sunk into the abyss, hell transfixed, death dead, mortality made immortal. In short, mercy has swallowed up all misery and goodness, all misfortune. It was finished. Your debt was paid and you are restored. And I hope you go away knowing that. Knowing that every time somebody criticizes you or every time Satan criticizes you and think, make you think you are not good enough. If you get into the, the, the habit of, of self-criticism uh, that you deserve to be condemned, tell them, tell yourself, tell Satan, tell the people around you that it is finished, that Christ became sin, that you are made righteous, that you are made adopted children of God. Every time you feel that you need to prove yourself in this bustling city, to prove yourself to become famous, to be popular, to be respected, or by working hard to make money, to feel significant or secure. Tell yourself that it is finished. No longer do you need to strive, because Christ is the ultimate assurance, the ultimate sign that you are significant, that he died for you. To add to it would be to subtract from his work. But before we go today, we shouldn't be too quick to jump, to make this moment simply a moment of joy. This mission, that which was finished, 
also was Jesus' life. You see, he came to die. That was the mission. And we know that in this sermon series, for centuries after Exodus, the Jews killed the lamb to remember the Passover, how God's righteous anger, righteous judgment came upon the Egyptians. And those who were saved um, were the ones who killed a lamb and posted its blood in the, in the, in the, in, in the mantles. And John records in verse 31 that it was the day of preparation when the Passover lambs were killed. Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slain in our place to take away the sins of the world. So yes, it was finished. But that meant that Jesus was killed, that he died. So before we get to Easter on Easter morning. Let's stay at the foot of the cross. Let's reflect on the fact that he, it was finished. Because, but that, that it wasn't just it. That it was a he. That he died for us. And that it was our sin that killed him. Um, we're going to now respond by singing praise. Our debt, our debt was paid. Please stand and let's sing together. <laughs>